All right, well, we're continuing in our 40 days of growth and engagement, and today we're talking on the topic of discipleship. And I was pondering how much culture can affect our lives. Can we put up these first pictures? I want you to take a guess. What, uh, what movie do these pictures bring to mind right here? What movie? Okay, I'm hearing some people say Star Wars. You know, this is not, actually, that was a trick question. This is, this is not from a movie. This is actually a normal street scene in Morocco. And I was so surprised when I went to Marrakesh, Morocco, and, and saw Jedis walking down the street. Uh, what I actually came to find out was these are called jalabas, and this is a standard attire for men to wear. You know, if you grew up in a different culture, it dramatically affects what you wear, what you eat, how you talk, and that was so, so made apparent to me in Morocco. Now, I, I think the first time I ever really understood this was when I was a teenager. I grew up in central Texas on a ranch, and I had a cousin who moved from California to Texas. And when he arrived, he looked totally different than all my friends. He was the first person to be wearing Vans that I had ever seen. And not just any Vans, he wore the black and white checkered Vans. And then he didn't have just the normal short haircut that all of us guys had. He had this blonde, long flowing hair that went over his eyes and he'd go like this. And he'd go like this. And I just thought, you were the coolest thing since sliced bread. He, he wore not just normal dull colors like we wore. He wore these neon, like just glowing colors. And, and, and so I realized, wow, uh, where you come from is so different from where I come from. And even the way he talked. He just had this way of, he talked so cool. He said things like, bro, and he just, he just drug it out. It was, it was so amazing. And so here is the, here is the crazy thing, though. Within four years, my cousin, uh, he, he exchanged his vans for cowboy boots. Uh, he stopped wearing neon shirts. He started wearing button-down pearl snap shirts, and he got a big belt buckle and instead of surfing, he actually, this is no lie, he became a bull rider. Culture affects how we talk, how we dress, how we live, the hobbies we have. And this can be positive, but it can also be negative because what I want to talk to you is on the title today for us as we talk about discipleship that we must reject Americanized Christianity to become true disciples of Jesus. Now, we must reject Americanized Christianity to become true disciples of Jesus because although I love America, so don't, don't all of a sudden write me off and go, well, this guy doesn't love America. He's down on America. That is just absolutely not true. My, my grandfathers both fought in the military. My father's in the military at the talent show in high school I sang I'm Proud to Be an American by Lee Greenwood and cried. And so I love, don't tell me I don't love this country. But what I am, what I am saying is there are these 
values that we have in America. Uh, we have these values like rugged individualism. Uh, we have these, these values um, uh, that, that can actually influence our Christianity and start making us look um, a lot more like pop, pop culture even in the church than like Jesus. And so let me dive in today in Matthew chapter 4 as we unpack this thought. It says this, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want you, if you you're, have your Bible open, I want you to underline this phrase. If you have your Bible app open, I always want you to be interacting with the Bible to underline this phrase, come follow me. You think... So often, we've been, we've been sold this bill of goods that, that Christianity is, is about a way we start looking or acting or a club we belong to or something we wear instead of about following a person, about following a person. And so today, I want to look at how Jesus actually called people because he wasn't calling them into Christianity. He was calling them into a relationship. He was calling them into a relationship. You're not joining a religion. You're following a relationship. And that relationship was, a, was with the man, God, Christ Jesus. Let's look at another scripture, John 1, 35 through 39. It says this, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. Now John is John the Baptist. He was leading this awakening going on outside of Jerusalem. It was on the Jordan River. He was baptizing people. He was telling them to repent, to turn away from their sinful life and to make their life right with God. And so John actually has some followers. He actually has some disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I want you to highlight that phrase. They went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. Today I want to talk about marks of authentic discipleship because God is calling us to reject Americanized Christianity and to actually become true disciples. So we need to discuss what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus. Point number one is a disciple spends time with Jesus. 
A disciple actually spends time with Jesus. I love that these first disciples, what they did, Jesus says, come follow me. And they're like, okay, what are we going to do? And the first thing they do is they just spend that afternoon with him. They just spend time with him. This week was Steph and my 20-year anniversary. Uh, Wednesday. 20-year anniversary, you never know how you're going to wake up. Like, what are you going to feel when you wake up? Some days you're just totally discouraged. Some days you're, you know, neutral. Some days you're happy. I woke up so encouraged on our 20-year anniversary. I, I, I woke up so encouraged because I was just thinking, man, 20 years I've been married to Steph. And so I, I actually went and I started my devotional that day by writing in my journal, okay, why am I so encouraged about 20 years with Steph? And, and I started writing down these things in no particular order, but I'll just write, read to you what I wrote down. I said, I love that we work at our jobs together. I love that we partner caring for our children together. I love that we relax watching the same shows together. I love that we go out to eat together. I love going on vacation together. I wrote some other things too, but I'm not going to share. But I noticed that they all had this word together in them. Together. If you want to have a healthy relationship, you've got to spend time together. And I want you to know Jesus wants you to be with him. He wants you to spend time with him. Now, you might have not felt loved or wanted by your parents. You might have felt rejected by your siblings. You might have felt like an outcast at school. Can I just tell you that if you can hear my voice, Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to be with you. It breaks my heart when people feel unworthy to be with Jesus. Do you know that we're all unworthy? But it's by what he did on the cross for us when he paid for our sins, dying in our place, that it's by his righteousness that we are made worthy and he wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you and so an authentic disciple. So what do I do every day? I wake up, I open my Bible, and I read it to learn who is God and who am I, and then I spend some time praying. I mean, you can cheat. You can turn on some great music on YouTube and Spotify. I encourage everyone, if you don't spend daily time with Jesus, start with just 15 minutes. I guarantee you, you have 15 minutes to spend. You'll find that it's far too short, but just spend seven, seven and a half minutes reading scripture, and just learning that that is where you find it's a love letter to you from God, and then seven and a half minutes in worship and in prayer. If you don't know how to pray, just do the Acts model prayer, adore, tell God what you love about him, confess, tell him what you're sorry for. T, thanks, thank him for what he's blessed you with in life, and S, seek God. Seek God for what you need, and then always take a little time to just wait in silence and and, and see what God will speak to you, and see if it doesn't start changing your life. It's my greatest desire for you in this church. What else does a disciple do? A disciple, a disciple obeys what Jesus says. A disciple obeys what Jesus says. John 14, 21, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is not normal American Christianity. 
right? In, in uh, normal American Christianity, we're like, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If it doesn't make me happy, I'm not going to do it. And so we're not into, we, we pick and choose what we like that Jesus says. Oh, I like that you say your burden is easy and your yoke is light. I love that you say cast my burdens upon you, Jesus. That is awesome. I am definitely going to do that. Ooh, I do not like that you say deny yourself. Not cool, Jesus. Not going to do that one right? Oh, I don't like that you say, pick up your cross. Ooh, and I really don't like that you say, be fishers of men. Those people are mean. I don't want to fish for them, right? And, and so we pick and choose what Jesus says. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And as you learn to be an obedient Christian, you learn to be a fulfilled Christian. Why is why are so many Christians unfulfilled? It's because they don't actually live Jesus-focused Christianity. They live Americanized Christianity. So our, our churches are full of self-help. Our churches are, are full of what blesses me, and we're not actually following Jesus's path. True disciples obey what Jesus says. Now, now watch this next one. This one's good. A disciple leaves things behind. A true disciple leaves things behind. Where do I get this? I get this from that text we began with. It says this, Jesus says, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. For too long, American Christianity is like this. I'm a businessman who's a Christian, right? I'm a doctor who's a Christian. I am a homemaker, I am a mother who is a Christian. We try to put on Christianity over our, what we think is our primary identity. Well, I'm an artist who's a Christian. I'm a football player who's a Christian. Where Jesus is saying, no, when you come to me, you let go of everything. Like these, these first disciples, disciples are willing to let go of everything. Now, I, let, let me just ask you, have you put your job and career on the altar and said, Jesus, I only want to do what you're saying? Now, this is what Jesus does. He then sends us into all the different sectors of society. But you're not a Christian businessman. You are a follower of Jesus who's deployed into the business world. You are not a Christian football player. You are a follower of Jesus who plays football. You are not a, 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 Christian, a, a, a Christian homemaker. You are a follower of Jesus who is tending to the home and making disciples in the home place. Are you following me? You are first a follower of Jesus. But it, it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like we, if, if I just went and put a helmet and pads on, it doesn't mean I'm a football player. Anybody could do that. But what it, it's actually a, a person who has set their, set their life and disciplined their body and, and learned the actual sport of football. They're a football player, and whether they have a helmet or pads on at the time or not. And we just try to put a little Christianity stamp over us. We put the latest Christian t-shirt on and say, now I'm a Christian, right? 
And that's just simply not the case. A Christian is someone who leaves everything and says, Jesus, I'm following you, and I'm only going to pick up what you tell me to. You have to be willing to leave your occupation, to leave different relationships, to, to, to leave your, your different material things. Like, let me ask you, is there anything you're holding on to that you won't walk away from for Jesus? A true disciple is willing to leave anything behind to follow Jesus. And that is where true freedom is found. Got a little heavy in this tent. A disciple is committed to relationships. A disciple is committed to relationships. Man, this isn't American either, is it? Now, we, we are the country that believes in rugged individualism. Man, we, we love the lone hero, right? We are the country that produced the lone ranger. Uh, you take, you take the, the hero, they're typically the renegade. They don't need other people. That is, that is who we are. Don't tell me what to do. I'm a rugged individualist. I talk to people, I'll ask people, you know, if they know Jesus, they'll say, well, me and the man upstairs, we have our own kind of private relationship. I'm like, hmm, that's not his relationship. That's... That's not the way he does it. That, that, that might be the way you want to do it, but that actually doesn't work that way. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus called disciples, they're always in a group? Oh, and that's hard, right? That it's, it can't just be, of course, there are times where we go and we get along with Jesus. I encourage you to do that every day, but then we walk with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that Jesus is always walking on the road with his guys, with his people, with his disciples, with the, the specific men and women that were actually called out to follow him. That's not very American. And then what, what we do is we so quickly leave relationships. Have you ever really studied the relationships between the disciples? Like we're, we're, we're all like, man, I just want to get back to New Testament Christianity. You know what New Testament Christianity is? Is the disciples arguing all the time about who's the greatest, or you didn't do this, or I can't believe you did that, or you want to sit by his right? No, I want to sit. I mean, that's New Testament. You, oh, we just need to get back to New Testament community. New Testament community is painful. It's, it's, it's awkward. It's hard. But, but that, that is how we get refined. And that is how we, we come into family and get transformed. God transforms us in community. A disciple is committed to relationships. Here's what I, I plead with you. When, when, when I'm so thankful that you've come to worship God. Now, when the music ends, please don't just run out. At least do this. Do this radical act of worship. Turn to the next person and go, hello. Just give, give them a chance. And I know that the problem is humans are awkward and like we feel awkward, but we've been discipled by American culture, which is like, have you noticed this? You're walking down the sidewalk and then someone comes and you're like, oh, don't make eye contact too long. It's awkward. Like we care more about not being awkward than we do like Jesus, about being like Jesus. So please try to make eye contact with people today. Try to say something. Hi, here's a great question. Interesting weather we're having. Just, and, and let me just say, I give you permission to be awkward in this church. Why? Because the disciples were awkward. Like, Jesus' main guy was like, Lord, we want to call down fire on that city. That's like, not sweet. 
right? And then the other ones were like, I want to be the I want to be next to you in heaven. I want the throne next to you. Like you're like, that's weird. Like that's kind of out of control. Or the other ones were like, keep the children away. Like, <laughs> I mean, think about how many times Jesus had to rebuke them. Why? Because people say stupid things. Okay. So don't try to say stupid things. Don't try to be offensive, but I, I, I just, let's talk to each other and build relationship because true disciples are committed to relationships. I want you to, to look at this. Um, Matthew 4. Going back to Matthew, Matthew 4. because this, this is what I believe. Um, we have been in a season of testing. We've been in a season of trials. Uh, I would say just as a nation, but it's really not. It's as a world. And, and the, the amazing thing is trials are used to form us and shape us. And trials actually help reveal the junk in us to bring out the gold in us. And, and we have to go through testing and trials to come into our destiny. And I believe that is what God is doing. He is wanting to transform the church in this generation to look less like culture, to be less Americanized and more disciples of Jesus. So let's look at what Jesus had to go through temptation and trial-wise to see how he came forth to transform the world. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, so many times we have this super spiritual lens that we look at these temptations and, and, and we just put them in a temptation realm that only Jesus was facing. But I actually believe that these temptations are, are, are in their own ways very common to a follower of Jesus that we most overcome if we're going to walk the life that God has called us to walk out. So I want to give you today a temptation versus transformation list. These are temptations that we're going through. I've, I've broken it into to several different ones. Temptations that you're going to encounter versus transformation that God is wanting to bring in your life. The first one is this, idolatry to intimacy. In America, we are being tempted with idolatry, but God wants to transform us to being a people of intimacy. About 20 years ago, I had this deep concern when this show came out that actually had the title American Idol. I, I had this concern, and then I was, at, at the time, I was uh, ministering on a college campus uh, as a college pastor, and I watched as tons of kids would flood into the student union building to watch this, and it was a deep concern because I, I, I was recognizing this thing that's going on that 
in America, we want to be an idol. We want to be worshipped. We want to be esteemed and valued and for people to bow down and worship us. We are an idolatrous people. It's the, the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. What does that mean? You shall not serve them. You shall not live for them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation for those who love me and keep my commands. You know, you walk around other nations and we, you actually see these temples with gold statues and, and uh, different ones of our people serve in these countries where you actually see them bringing offerings to these gold statues. Not happening quite as much in our nation, although it does, but we bow down, we serve, we give our lives to these same idols the idols of success, the idols of money, the idols of comfort, the idols of a specific type of home, the idols of a specific type of education, but we also want to be idols ourselves, and we also want to be worshipped. And Jesus rejects this. Jesus rejects idolatry and shows the key. The key is intimacy with God. You are made to worship but what you're made to worship is the Lord. That, that desire to be worshiped, that desire to worship something else, it can only be replaced if you are deeply connecting in fellowship with the Lord. I believe that God is changing the church in our generation. Do you know that idolatry has crept into the church? In our generation, we worship celebrity pastors. You just look how many people are following pastors that they have a certain look and they have these crazy giftings and they have the coolest shoes and, and everyone is following them. We are more, we, we are more, uh, we exalt in our country kind of the entrepreneurial famous pastor over the suffering sacrificial servant. I wonder if Jesus would be able to gather a big church if he came to America because he is a sacrificial, suffering servant, not, not the cool, trendy, celebrity pastor. We do the same with, with worship. We, we, we've built whole industries and sold millions of dollars in these, the, the, the coolest people, but is it really about intimacy with Jesus? Is it full of the presence of God? Is it really the grace and truth of Jesus. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. We've got to reject idolatry to find intimacy. Number two, this is what I believe God is doing in our generation. He's changing the church. He's changing the people of God from promiscuity to purity. Uh, now, no one would question whether our nation, whether the world has moved into promiscuity. Uh, the, the, the culture just says, do whatever you want. Sleep with whoever you want. Have, have any kind of sexual experience you want. I, I, was, I was meeting with uh, one of our student leaders this past week, and I was heartbroken to hear that uh, actually at his school, 
um, in that kind of religion department, a group of leaders had come forth saying publicly that we do not believe sex outside of marriage is wrong. I said, well, how can that be? They said, I said, because the Bible is so clear on sexuality, right? I mean, Leviticus 17, Leviticus 19, Jesus uh, with the woman at the well, Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Timothy 1, Revelation. I mean, you just go, it's so clear. And he said, well, they actually would say the Bible is not the authoritative word of God. Can I tell you, it's not society that makes the call on purity versus promiscuity. It's not society that's, that, that, that uh, declares uh, what gender you are. Uh, it's not society that declares uh, what sexuality is right or wrong. Now, let me just be very, very clear for a moment. What I'm not saying is that we become haters. What I'm not saying is we become bashers. That is not like Jesus. Luke 15, 1, it says, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear what Jesus had to say. Jesus steps in front of the woman caught in adultery to defend her, but then he's so clear that he says, neither do I condemn you, but leave your life of sin. So we are to be the most loving, the most the most embracing, the the most healing and comforting, but we do not stamp approval. We do not say that you can do what you want. We do not say that that, that sexuality, that, 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 that it's just, what, no. <clears throat> it's like fire. Sexuality is a gift from God. Okay, sexuality is a gift from God. Fire is this wonderful gift within the confines of a fireplace, right? It keeps you warm. It cooks your food. It keeps you alive. But when it jumps out of those confines, it brings great destruction. A wildfire destroys millions of lives. That's what sexuality, that is what all this, the the gender confusion is doing. We as the church, we as disciples of Jesus, need to be the most Christ-like in loving and being kind, but you don't stamp an approval on what God says is not approved. Here's another one. That could be like a whole series, but we'll just give it three minutes. Um, God is moving us from being distracted to devoted. Being distracted to devoted. A lot of you guys look down at your phone right then. Um, the latest study shows that, um, that humans now have a shorter attention span than goldfish. I am determined that all people's church can beat goldfish. (laughs) We're all people's church. (laughs) We we have become so distracted, right? And and one of the things is we're talking about Jesus, true disciples have to leave things. There are times that you need to leave your cell phone behind. I double dog dare you today when you get home from this worship service to walk in the house and put your phone down by the door and not come back for five minutes. 
Now, and if you have anxiety about leaving it behind, now, you know, I'm actually thankful when I, I reach out to my staff and, and they, they, they don't get back to me. I mean, I'm somewhat thankful. But because they said, I, I, had my, I left my phone down to be with my family or I left my phone down so I could go off and pray, good, because we're getting so distracted that we can't be devoted. And in the New Testament church, it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer. You can't be devoted if you're always looking at something else. And God wants a devoted people. I encourage you. We've got to break some of these addictions. Hey, this is what Freedom Day is all about, is helping us actually become a devoted, focused people on Jesus so he can transform our, our lives. Lastly, and there's many more, but these are the ones that I really felt like were being highlighted in this temptation narrative, is God's moving us from being famous. I mean, the, the devil came and was like, hey, you go up and you'll have all the kingdoms, everyone looking at you. I believe God in, 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 in this generation is wanting us to move from the temptation of being famous to being people of family, being people who are committed to family. And I'm not just talking about nuclear family, although I am saying that, but the family of the body of Christ. In, in a recent study, this is what it showed that this, this group of researchers in the UK showed that as they surveyed 16-year-olds, they determined that more than half had no desire to go into professions that didn't involve being a celebrity. Uh, another study showed that more more young people, they'd rather be just an assistant to a celebrity than have a, 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 a vocation like being a, a doctor or a teacher or someone who's actually doing some kind of contribution to the, the help of other people. Why? Because we're addicted to celebrity. Here's why. I, I love this book. I actually believe it's a secular book, but man, they're nailing it on the head. Orville Gilbert Brim, author of Look at Me, The Fame Motive from Childhood to Death. Look at Me, The Fame Motive from Childhood to Death. says today's culture is full of people who don't want to be famous for a particular talent. They just want to be famous so that they can feel accepted. Why do we have this desire for more and more followers on Instagram or TikTok or more and more likes, it's because we so have this need for a relationship to feel cared about and to feel loved. And true disciples, Jesus was teaching, there's a family of God. And in that family of God, you're brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, and there is true acceptance. And I believe that God is wanting a generation that doesn't just have these fake synthetic likes that make us feel good for a moment but leave us empty because it doesn't matter to actually focusing on true relationships that actually sow into our lives and that we sow into. So I believe that there's coming a generation that wakes up and says, it just doesn't matter. I mean, have you seen some of the people that have the most followers? I'm trying to think of something positive to say or like, oh, it's, it's not always um, wholesome. It's not always good stuff. Like you can do the dumbest thing 
And, and, and God is saying, no, I, I want you to be, become people that actually savor authentic relationship. Like you actually know how to have a conversation with a person. You actually know how to have eye contact with people. You actually know how to ask a loving question and then they respond and you're not just looking at your phone, but you're going, mm, oh, wow. And you let what's going on in their life affect you. And then when there's a hard thing, you don't just ghost them or you don't just peace out, but you actually realize that love always perseveres, always endures. It does not seek its own. God is wanting a revolution in relationships in this generation. And that is going to take maturity. All right, so let's finish with this. So let me just say where the rubber hits the road, where you can actually put traction to this teaching on reject Americanized Christianity to become true disciples of Jesus. Three practicals to becoming a true disciple. I'd encourage you to write these down. Three practicals. This is how you can actually grow to be more like Jesus, to be more in love with Jesus, to be more transformed by Jesus. Number one, commit to daily FaceTime. That's what we call spending time with Jesus every day. This will become the, the, the bedrock of your life. You will see that FaceTime, it improves your marriage. It will transform your parenting. It will make you better at work. It will make you more stable because you're actually learning to build your house upon the rock. How do you build your house upon the rock? That story where, where Jesus says the storms come and one house shakes and falls and, and one house stands the storms, it's because you built your life on the foundation of God's word and you learned to draw strength from connecting with him daily. So you're going to have to make some changes if you do this. Like, you, you have to make some changes. So a person that has committed FaceTime, they actually get up in the morning, right? Now, you say, I'm not a morning person. You can try. It doesn't have to be in the morning. I encourage you to be in the morning because I, I'm a night person, but I tried to meet with God every night, and my schedule would always change. So me, not as a, as a, as not as a morning person, I became a FaceTime in the morning person to meet with God, right? Someone introduced me to coffee, right? And it changed my life, right? That's why there's a book called Hebrews. And... Uh, what immediate changes need to happen to do this? Okay, what, what, what do you, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you can't Netflix binge at night and still get up in the morning. So there's just gonna be some changes in your lifestyle. All right, number two. So number one, commit to daily FaceTime. Number two, I wanna challenge you with this. Commit to being in an intentional small group community. When Jesus called people, if you notice, he usually was even calling people together. James and John and, and Andrew and Peter, and then he pulled them into this small group community. And in a small group community, that's how he trained his church. And that's how they learned to actually have healthy relationships. I was talking to a guy this week in our small group, and, and he was just sharing with the group. He said, you know, I didn't come from a healthy family, so I actually learned how to live a healthy Christian life by being in a small group. So that's amazing. That is what small group Christianity does. It refamilies you. It gives you accountability. It's a place you can know that you can get prayer. It's a place where you can actually, you, you start sharing all your problems at work. A lot of times people will be like, who cares? Or what's wrong with you, right? Or you might get fired. 
In a small group community, what happens is people draw near and say, let me pray for you. I want to carry that burden with you. And you start praying together, and you start seeing answers to prayer. Another guy said, hey, you, I asked you to pray for this two weeks ago, and this happened this week, and we all rejoice together. A small group carries burdens together. A small group is accountable together. A small group is strength together. So what, what small group are you in? I want to encourage you. Uh, there are so many small groups in this church with, uh, and, and all different times. Women, you have prayer pods, you have encounter groups, we have growth groups, there's, there's life groups. Talk to one of the, the pastors here. If you're not a part of a small group, let us help you find one. Say you've been to one and you were like, that, that, was, that was not good. I didn't like it. Well, we probably have 40 other ones to try. Just keep trying. Just, just keep trying. Lastly, pursue a mentor. In the Bible, true disciples have someone that's just a little further down the road pouring into them. Uh, but that takes pursuit. The, the people I know that actually get that kind of one-on-one -on -one mentoring, it's because they've asked for it. So let me tell you about some people that had mentors. The great apostle Paul that wrote half the Bible, he was mentored by Barnabas. Uh, Timothy, the great pastor of the Bible, he was mentored by Paul. We, we see this mentoring. We see Ruth with Naomi mentoring her. You just see this all over Elijah with Elisha, all over Scripture. We see this mentoring is how people are nurtured and they grow. Now, if you're like me, you might have to ask numerous people before you get someone who will meet with you. So don't be deterred. You pray about it and go and approach that. I had to ask about five people before I found someone. And throughout my life, I've always been determined to just make sure I'm asking people. And then you ask them to meet with you. meet with me. And then what do you do when you meet with them? You go and ask them your questions. To, to, in order to grow, but I encourage everyone to pursue a mentor, to ask the Lord, because that's what helps us grow in our faith, where we can go with our questions, where we can go and have someone speak in and help us along our journey. Amen? Amen. We want to be people who reject Americanized Christianity to become true disciples of Jesus. Would you stand up with me?